Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Continue our exposition in Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, after spending so many months in Hebrews 11, it's good to be uh, plowing through and progressing in 12. We spent two weeks on those first four verses, which are familiar for, if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you're familiar with those verses. Let us run with endurance. Now, today's text, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12, 5 to 8, is related to those first four verses, but it sort of begins to take on a new shape, and it's the shape of discipline. How often do we hear when somebody's going through something and they say, why does God allow me to suffer like this? Why, why is God allowing me to go through this? Why me? And, and some can wonder, is, it does, is God forsaken me? Does he love me? What, what's his purpose in allowing this? Sometimes we can doubt God's goodness and his care for us. Sometimes we can lose heart and grow weary in well-doing. But just like children in a home that need to be trained and instructed, so too we need to be formed, we need to be corrected, we need to be instructed in the ways of God. Bonhoeffer has said, suffering is the badge of a Christian. And so we shouldn't think some strange thing is happening to us when we endure these things. The great preacher Alexander McLaren once compared this section, verses 5 to 11, which make up the unit, to a lighthouse. And this is what he meant by that. It's the kind of teaching you don't pay much attention to when the sun is shining and when you're free from trials. Can you see the light in a lighthouse in the middle of the day when the sun's out? Not very well, right? Because the sun obscures it. He goes on, he says, but when nighttime comes and the storms come to us, it suddenly blazes with a light that is essential for us to find our way. These verses give us the biblical teaching of God chastising and training his children through the difficulties of this life. And I think that's true. If you're not going through anything and everything seems to be going so well, you might just pass over this. The discipline of the Lord and fainting and scourging. I'm not experiencing any of that. You can just pass right over it. How quickly we can suddenly be in tune to it and zoom in on that text and glean what is God's purpose. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God, of course, is a great comfort for us. And that's going to be a theme actually throughout here. And as his child, we know that God has promised and pledged to shape us and to care for us, to really prepare us for glory. And so anything that we're going through is for our good and for his glory. So let's read together. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of this chapter. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary 
and lose heart. For you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Father, we come to You now confessing we are a needy people. Lord, we ask that You would indeed help us to submit to Your loving discipline. Lord, that we would look even to that peaceful fruit of righteousness, which is the end result. And Lord, unto that end, if we do not have understanding into this text, we will not be able to do these things. So would you pour out your Spirit upon each one here. Give us insight. Give us the the lens of the Holy Spirit to understand all that you would have for us in this text. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So back in verse 1, remember that therefore, it's a sharp contrast to everything that we've heard in Hebrews 11. The main clause, let us run with endurance as the force of a command. Let us run what in this race, this race that's an agonizing, a difficult race. It's an it's a intense contest, you might think. But he says, but run in this way. Lay aside weights, right? Lay aside anything that would hinder you from running with speed and preciseness, but also that sin which kind of wants to wrap itself around your legs and trip you up. Lay aside these things. And as you're doing that, you're what? Fixing your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And why are we fixing our eyes on Him? It's because for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. He endured all of that for us. And so we fix our eyes on Him. And then as though that's not enough, the the command for consider Him. A deep mathematical problem that it's logarithmic that you're thinking through. You're considering all of Christ and His person and His work and the incarnation and His glorification. Consider him consider him to think and reason with a thorough completeness and then it mentions again his suffering who endured such hostility of sinners you think of the garden of gethsemane his best friends were falling asleep he's he's in agony praying 
If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. Before Pilate, the hostility of being beaten and the crown of thorns and being mocked. But the worst humiliation was on the cross, wasn't it? Stripped naked, nailed to that cross, dying by suffocation. You know, maybe I could endure crucifixion, just let me die in the first five minutes. But six hours of pulling yourself up over and over. But that was just his physical sufferings. The Father poured out His wrath upon His own Son. My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? The mystery of the sufferings of Christ. But the victorious thing is that He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's accomplished all that He was sent to accomplish. He sits at the right hand of the Father in glorified state there interceding for us. Consider Him. Contemplate Him. Why? So that you do not grow weary and lose heart. I told you those two, uh, those two terms have the idea of a runner running and as soon as he breaks the tape, just collapsing. Weariness, losing heart. And then he reminds them, oh, although you've had all this suffering, your possessions stolen, some put in prison, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And so, that takes us to our text here. As we come to this section, I want to emphasize it's certainly connected, and there's debate as to whether verses 1 and 2 go together, and 3 to 11 uh, 1, 2, and 3, and then 4 to 11. Obviously, you know, I decided last, last Saturday, actually, that 4 should most likely go with the first three verses. But it is a connecting verse, isn't it? You see it there. You've not yes, yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation addressed to you. Now, I want to make it clear. I'm going to be using the words instruction, Discipline, admonition, trials, afflictions, all of those terms used interchangeably, speaking about this vast topic, right, of our trials, of our sufferings, of the chastisement from the Lord, because ultimately it all comes from God, right? Is there anything that happens by chance in your life? We need to have a Bible study if you think so. God is sovereign. He's on the throne. No matter what he sends, it's for his purposes. He's behind it all. In the ancient world, the the discipline was the responsibility and even the duty of the Father to administer that discipline. We'll have to ask Hector's dad if he administered discipline to Hector later. (laughs) But uh, And and that just, it's it's common sense, right? And it's not a, a sign of favor when a child is not disciplined by his father. You know, can you imagine somebody you know, we, we grew up with kids like this. They had no discipline in their home. That is not a blessing. <laughs> That's a curse, actually. That's an actual curse. And we'll see today that fatherly love, how deep the Father's love for us. Fatherly love and discipline go together. They're connected. Andrew Murray, in his commentary, said, In every trial, small and great, first of all, is to recognize God's hand in it. 
Say immediately, my father has allowed this trial to come. Therefore, I will welcome it as coming from him. My concern is to glorify him in it and to make it a blessing for my soul. So we're going to look at this under two simple points. Verses 5 and 6, the reassuring comfort of divine discipline. In trials, verses 7 and 8, the reasons for divine discipline. So first of all, let's look at, um, let's look at this. Uh, well, let's consider this word, a, a detailed definition of the Greek word pedia. That's the word that's translated discipline. You can I highlight it in a different color in my Bible here so I could see every time how often it occurs. It actually occurs, I think it's nine times in eight verses here. It's a word that he's using heavily. He uses it in both the verb and the noun form. And it's important that we understand the, the complexities and the broadness of this term. Pedia has the idea of child. It's the rearing, the guiding of children toward maturity. Okay? And it involves training and instruction and corrective discipline. BDAG and Lexicon says, to assist in the development of a person's ability to make appropriate choices, to practice discipline. It's the use of divine discipline as well as human fathers. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Psalm 118, verse 18, the Lord has disciplined me severely, the psalmist says, but he has not given me over to death. Paul instructs Timothy in chapter 3 of his second letter, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. The word training is the word that we're looking at. There's a training that's involved. It's, it's comprehensive. It's the whole training and education of children, including the cultivation of the mind, how one thinks, how one responds to various things, one's morals that are formed, and it's employed positively and negatively. Positively through commands, through admonitions, through instructions. Negatively through reproof, right? Corrective discipline, and even sometimes punishment. And I'm using that word in a very careful way. Punishment is as a, a sense of chastisement, right? And so I'll qualify that later. And so we must view hardship not as the strokes of an enemy, but as the rod of a loving father. I know this is, it goes against our natural thinking, right? A good father does what is necessary to bring his son or daughters, to maturity. In Ephesians 6, that parenting passage right there, it says, fathers, bring them up in the what? Discipline of the Lord. Bring them up. Now, we must carefully distinguish from retributive justice or divine wrath, which is strictly punitive or vindictive or vengeful, or you might think of condemnation. That's never intended for good. You have the bowls of wrath and revelation. You've got eternal punishment that is pictured. But God's children never experience that. 
It's very important that we believe there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I hope you you see the difference here. It's by His stripes that we are healed. There's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. So don't mistake loving discipline, even some maybe some strong chastisement to awaken you, to shape your character, to awaken you, or maybe even disciplining you for some sin right, that is there, that is not a wrathful discipline, okay? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Divine discipline, chastening, always seeks the highest good of the one who is being chastened. It seeks to improve and to correct and to mold and ultimately to build up, to perfect our character, right? Isn't that what Paul says in Romans 5? talk more about that in a little bit, that, that he might form this character. Secondly, under this head, the motive of discipline is God's fatherly love. It's right there in the text, right? First of all, you have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. That, that word is a perfect tense, which means that they were still not remembering clearly, okay? And so, That's why he spends an extended section here reminding them. But discipline is a bad word in our day, right? I mean, it's, you know, you discipline your children, right? Uh, You know, oh my goodness, you know, and and it's a bad word. (laughs) It's been abused. And and verse 5 can sound abrupt, right? You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin, but you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. The end of chapter 10 indicates that they were suffering in in many ways. And and, and, and so he's he's bringing this this, this nuance here. And this where it says, do not regard lightly. You see that there? Not re- regarding lightly and then nor faint. Those are commands. So my son, just think of the force. Do not regard lightly nor faint at the Father's discipline. And it goes right in to say, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It's evidence of your sonship. We love the doctrine of adoption. We've been adopted into the family of God. So when that discipline comes, it's evidence that you are indeed a child of God. Do not regard lightly. This actually continues two major themes of the book of which we've seen these couple of years, that there is a gracious help available to them back in chapter 2 and verse 18. Since he himself was tempted... That and, and all that he had suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who were tempted. And also the need to persevere. We've seen that again and again and again and again. We know God will, will make sure that we persevere, but we're still exhorted to persevere. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's all back in chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
a new and a living way which he inaugurated through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have this great high priest, let us draw near with a sincere heart, with full assurance, with hearts sprinkled, with bodies washed. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Anything we suffer in this life, and especially anything we suffer for the cause of the gospel, is a bold assurance that God is showing himself to be a father to us. The reality is, is we are tempted to forget, aren't we? As it says right here, it's, uh, uh, you have forgotten this exhortation. We, we can forget that exhortation. And, and that Proverbs 3, of which we read part of it, is the context of a father's instruction to a child. There, the utter reality of this affectionate relationship the closeness of a blood relation of a father and son, how much more our heavenly father and us as his creation. That's even closer than a blood connection. So we're not to despise it. We're not to take it lightly. We're to embrace it. You know, it's, it's hard when you, you have teenagers and you, they say, well, why can't I watch these movies? Or why can't I go to that party? All the other kids are going to this party. Or why can't I go here? And, and they, they can complain and, and all of that. But, but we have a responsibility to discipline and to set parameters. You see, discipline will do one of two things. God's discipline will either make you better, you'll grow spiritually, or you'll become bitter. Bitter. And that's where we're stiff-arming it. We don't want it. We're not, we don't want to be instructed. We want to go our own way. Actually, it's he who withholds his rod that hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 13, 24. How much that's on a human level, but how much more with God does. Now, look at the end of verse 6 here. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, that doesn't sound very loving, does it? Scourging? Do you know what scourging is? I think you know what scourging is. Uh, To be scourged is to be whipped or to be flogged. Now, discipline, or as we call it in our home, loving discipline, when we would administer the rod of reproof, um, is one thing. And I've spanked my kids pretty good at times, but I've never scourged them. (laughs) You think of that cat of nine tails with chunks of metal and glass and that whip that would be thrown and it would land on the back and then just basically skin a man alive. That's the term that's being used here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's the literal definition, but it's used figuratively here. And the second lexical definition is to punish with discipline in mind and to chastise. C.S. Lewis has well said, Many of you will remember this quote, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. But he shouts in our pains. It is a megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Isn't that true? Things are going good. We're not really hearing. We're we're just going our own way. He might prick our conscience, but boy, when you get in a lot of pain, he's got your attention, right? The close organic relationship between suffering and being God's sons 
He's already developed this throughout back in Hebrews 2.10, where it was fitting for him from whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Christendom, uh, often referred to as the silver tongue Christendom, has said this, it is those very things in which they suppose they have been deserted by God that should make them confident that they are not, that they have not been deserted. The very things that would cause us to be tempted to, where are you, God, is the very evidence that God is there. Discipline proves sonship. Amos 3.2, you only have I chosen from all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for your iniquities. So our trials are designed for our good. We, we can't view them as the strokes of an enemy, but the rod of a loving father. The Lord loves whom he disciplines. And, and you can see how this is sort of connected to those previous verses now because it gives us courage to press on in the race of the Christian life. Deuteronomy 8.5 Thus you are to know in heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Discipline is ultimately from God. It's grounded in his authority. Our third point here, the, the various modes and means that God uses in discipline. As I said, it's very, very broad. Sometimes it can come for our own sin. When we willfully sin, uh, he can bring discipline into our lives. And you know why that is? Because he's more concerned for your holiness than your happiness. He's more concerned that you be conformed to the image of Christ. And so he will not let us get away with our sin habitually. Secondly, also, these trials and disciplines build our character. They give us a fortitude. Just think of a young man that's been faithfully disciplined through his years in his father and mother's home, and now he's gone out on his own. He's got fortitude. He's got conviction. He's glorifying the Lord with his life. And if he wasn't disciplined in such a way, he would never have come to that. There's character, godly character. Sometimes it's external circumstances, domestic difficulties, uh, vocational struggles, trials at school or in college. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's losing a loved one. As um, We've just heard of a couple of deaths in our prayer meeting. Uh, John Leader, I sent out, he passed away on Friday after fighting COVID for two months. Uh, a wife that's without her husband. Though he's in glory, but still, that kind of a loss. Persecution, vaccine mandates, these are external things. What about our own physical health? Pain and discomfort of all sorts. Sometimes the discomfort is temporary. Sometimes it's a lifelong affliction that never will go away. Physical limitations and hindrances. I wish I could climb that mountain or run that 100-yard dash like I used to be able to do. But now I've got a bad back. Now I've got a bad knee. And I've got all of these things. So these limitations. Life-threatening diseases and conditions. And even death. Internal spiritual afflictions. A spiritual and uh, psychological 
Think of the emotional afflictions that can come, the depression that can seem so heavy, like you've got the atlas, you know, with the world on your shoulders, or, or the anxiety that just keeps you on the edge of your seat constantly, a lack of peace, or even a lack of assurance of salvation. And I want to emphasize, discipline is never a punishment in, in such a way, uh, like a, 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 a condemnation, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Spurgeon puts it eloquently. He says, God's people can never by any possibility be punished for their sins. Punished in that way. God has punished them already in the person of Christ. Christ, their substitute, has endured the full penalty of their guilt, and neither the justice nor the love of God can ever exact again that which Christ has paid. See, some Christians are experiencing trials, discipline, and they, they, they ask that question, why is this happening to me? And doesn't Peter actually answer that in 12 of his first letter? Think some strange thing has come upon you, Right? This isn't a strange thing. This is normal. God allows it because He loves us. So that's, that's our first point, verses 5 and 6, that quote from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. Um, and then secondly, the reasons for divine discipline. Look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you what? Endure. Remember how we saw that word repeated? In the first few verses, endurance, endurance. Run with endurance. Look to Him who endured the cross. And now it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? the, The rhetorical question here, it's unheard of. It's not right. It should be wrong. Verse 8, But if you are without discipline, of which... All have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children. So, I think I have about five subpoints under here. The reasons for divine discipline. First, obviously, it's right there for endurance sake. Verse 7a. Notice the word. Uh, it is for discipline that you endure. It's with a view to this discipline that we're called to endure. And this word has the idea of to stay in a place beyond an expected point of time. That's what endurance is. Not running from it, but to stay and endure. To maintain a belief or a course of action in the face of opposition. To stand one's ground. To endure. We all know James chapter 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, and they are various, aren't they? Um, multicolored is the idea. Um, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word perfect there is teleos. It's the idea of being complete. It's not perfect, I've reached sinless perfection. It's that you are mature. And what what does that for us is these trials, these multicolored trials. God deals with us as sons. Verse 7b, what sons are whom his father does not discipline? 
it balances the rebuke at the beginning here. The psalmist says in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. So for endurance sake, secondly, it's to instruct us. It implies the process of learning and training. Instead of recoiling from discipline, we should embrace it as something that's valuable and there's something to be gleaned here, right? In every generation, Christians pass through what you might call the school of suffering. There's going to be difficulties. But just as gold is tested by fire and refined so that the dross can be taken out, so too, that's what it's like to be a Christian. We endure the fire of purification. 1 Peter 4.13 But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing! so that also at the revelation of glory you may rejoice in exaltation. There was five students in Geneva around the time of John Calvin, we're talking 1550s, and um, they suffered imprisonment, and later they suffered martyrdom. And this is what they wrote um, to the church before their death. We testify that this is the school of the children of God, in which they learn more than all the philosophers ever did in their universities. God gave grace, not only in the theory of his word, but also in the practice of it. And I think the idea there is that God sustained them so much by by making it known that he was with them through that. Suffering is instructive because it drives us back to the word of God. Right When we're encountering difficulties, hopefully this is where you go, (laughs) is not 1-800-THERAPY, but you go to the Word of God, which can give you clear insights. Richard Baxter, the Puritan, said, Suffering so unbolts the door of the heart that the Word has easier entrance. When we're enduring those, those difficult, difficult times, our hearts open and the Word comes Annie Johnson Flint was a, a hymn writer. She wrote over 6,000 hymns, if you can imagine this. I can't imagine that. Wouldn't that be just an amazing feat to sit down and read all 6,000 hymns? Or Fanny Crosby, what, what is it, like 8,000 hymns, and just to read all of those hymns. She was an orphan. She lived with crippling arthritis. She was stricken with cancer. She suffered her entire life. And yet her faith was especially evident in this particular hymn. He giveth more grace as the burdens grow great. He sendeth more strength as the labors increase. To added afflictions, he added his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. And you see that? That's that's, that's the eyes of faith. It's the eyes of understanding that no matter how difficult it is, his mercy is greater, his love is greater. We can have that confidence. So for endurance sake, it's instructive. Thirdly, it's protective, actually. This type of discipline is to prevent and protect us from sin. Sometimes he brings discipline to save you from yourself (laughs) or a certain circumstance that you might fall into. 
I mean, as parents, if you live on a busy road and your kids like to play in the front yard and you allow them to, you put up a fence so they don't run right into the street. There's a protective element to it. If you don't want them to get burned, you don't leave torch lighters and matches all over the house where they might say, woo, this is fun. Or you don't want them to play with knives and cut themselves, and so you put the knives up. Proverbs 4.10, Hear my son and accept my sayings, for the years of your life will be many. We're told in Isaiah 43, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. But when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. So, on the one hand, we as parents, we protect our children from certain things, right? Don't just give them free access to whatever cable shows. or we, So there's a sense in which we are to protect. But I think many parents have actually swung too far. Where they, they, seek, they feel like they have to shield their kids from absolutely everything. You know, the, the, the kid that basically... Uh, David Vaughn uh, gave this uh, illustration of, of he was visiting a family in America in a large city that was a part of a really solid Reformed Baptist church. He's having dinner with them. He, by the way, David Vaughn's a missionary in France for 30-some years. there, planting churches and a great man of God. And he tells a story about um, one of the, the kids, the boy, was going off to college and what he was sharing at the dinner table is he's never had a conversation with an unbeliever. So his fear is that I'm going to have to go to college and interact with unbelievers, and I've never done that. And David said he went over to the window, and he saw like some similar age kids across the street. What about them? Oh, no, no, they're not Christians. <laughs> so, so there could be a, an air of trying to shield your kids from everything, anything that would be painful and difficult. And you know, there's a sense in which it's good for our kids to experience their own difficulties, their bumps and bruises. That's how they learn. Uh, When we were at the conference, I got to meet, um, there were some people from Radius International, which is a missions training organization. Lord willing, Aaron and I and whoever else wants to come down there and tour it. It's on a Friday, November 6th. We're going to see the work firsthand. But there's, it's a one-year training program. And the young people that come through here are trained and equipped for every possible disappointment and discouragement that could happen on the mission field. It really does what we've been talking about, forming character. And there's three couples. Of course, I only met the, the one man um, that he was telling me there's three couples they're going to Southeast Asia to an unreached people group, a, a dangerous place. And these are young people in their mid-20s, perhaps, in that range right there. So I think it is good to take risk for the kingdom of God. We, we need to have this right balance that we're not uh, sheltering our kids. Adonai Judson's letter to his soon-to-be father-in-law. Do you remember that? I've shared it a few times before. And uh, it's basically, good man, would you part with your daughter to allow her to come with me to a foreign land of which there are heathens, of which there will be dangers, of which there will be diseases? Will you part with her to perhaps never see her again for the sake of the kingdom of God? And we need to be willing to part with our kids 
and not know they're in my, I got a keeper in my little bubble here with the white picket fence. So, loving discipline, the Father's discipline is protective. We as parents need to be careful to not be overly protective on our kids. I think I beat that drum enough. Fourthly, it's corrective. Don't despise it. Don't regard it lightly. And I would say to all you young people, when your mother and father discipline you, don't regard it as something lightly or despise it. Embrace it and see the purpose for it. Don't despair. Don't become weary. In verse 8, it states it um, negatively, uh, that it's unheard of. So what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, and you are illegitimate children and not sons. Proverbs 13, 24, I already read it. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Don't hold back discipline of a child, just as the father will not hold back discipline of us. If you are left without discipline, then you are not a son of God. An undisciplined child is an unloved child. Jerome has said, the greatest anger of all is when God is no longer angry with us. In other words, if God gives them over right, and turns his back and just says, their destiny is sealed. You see children in the public place, in the park, in the in the grocery stores that are undisciplined, talking back to their mother, treating them like dirt, and there's no discipline at all. It says, you get no candy bar today. Well, and it keeps fighting. Okay, here's candy, here's bribery, you know, and there's no discipline there. And sadly, we have a, a large generation, and the generation that's coming behind them is completely undisciplined, no fear of God before their eyes. Partakers, that's a term that he's used several times. We're partaking of the heavenly calling, chapter 3 and verse 1. We're fellow partakers in Christ, chapter 3 and verse 14. We're partakers in even the suffering, 10.33. So, discipline that comes as a direct result of sin is not condemnation. I know that's the third time I said it, but sometimes you don't hear everything. (laughs) And so... You need to hear that a couple of times because you can never accuse God of doing that. Remember David, King David, a man after God's own heart, falls into adultery and murder. In Psalm 32, what does it say? In verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Was that not God's discipline upon him? Gave him no peace. Put that weight upon him through my groaning all day. Finally, Nathan the prophet, he he repents uh, of his sin, but there's consequences sometimes for our sin. There's that discipline, right? But there's consequences. 2 Samuel 12.10 Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. There's consequences. And I mean, read, read the rest of the book, right? Lots of consequences. The church at Corinth, they abused the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, 31, 
If we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, and remember it says that some were weak and sick, um, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so the Lord is there to discipline, and some are sick and some are even dead, lying in the grave. But it's that we would not be condemned with the world. Well, we're going to pick up, Lord willing, next time, uh, verses either 9 to 11 or 9 to 13. I haven't decided yet. And we'll continue this theme and get to the, the idea that all discipline for the moment, verse 11, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, I want to remind you, no hardship... No discipline comes by chance. We serve a sovereign God. He's intimately involved with our lives. Memorize Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes what? Some things to work together for our good. All things to work together for good to those who love God and have been called according to His purpose. Sadly, we've come to believe that We live in the Disneyland of America and that God owes us something more than the third world countries and the countries where people are being persecuted and and that somehow we have right and privilege to ride all the rides in the Disneyland park, you know, to, you know, in our American context, that somehow God has promised us the little house on the prairie with the white wicked, wicked picket, (laughs) picket fence, Uh, (laughs) wicked, wicked. (laughs) I don't think white fences are wicked. (laughs) But God can bring and does bring hardship into our lives as a consequence for sin and to build our character. Don't assume that every time you have trouble that it's a direct result of sin and where you're heaping guilt upon yourself. It says in chapter 5 of Jesus in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. And he, has, he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things in which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. I think that's remarkable. In the days of his flesh... He's offering these things up. And, and it even says that, that although he was the son, or a son in the text, he learned obedience. Another application would be when we see our neighbor, our friend, our fellow member going through a certain thing for us to immediately jump to the idea, I wonder what sin they did or what God's disciplining them for. Those are the secret things that belong to the Lord and not for us to be judgmental in any way, shape, or form. The Apostle Paul is instructive here, and Sandra was able to share a a beautiful thing in a prayer meeting today and reference this, but because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me and to keep me from exalting myself. 
all kinds of ink has been spilt on paper. What's the thorn, right? And and all of that. We're not going to discuss that. It was something that was uncomfortable enough for him to implore the Lord to remove it three times. But he has said to me, and this in the original is, is a perfect tense. He said, and it continues to have the abiding results. And what is that? My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I'm well content with weaknesses. There was once a missionary couple many years ago in Pakistan, and they lost their six-month baby girl, had died. An old native that knew the missionary couple had heard of the grief, and he came to comfort them. And this is what he said. A tragedy like this is similar to being plunged into boiling water. He goes on to say, if you are an egg, your affliction will make you hard-boiled and unresponsive. If you are a potato, you will emerge soft and pliable and resilient and adaptive. It may sound funny to God, but there are times when I have prayed, Oh Lord, let me be a potato. Some of you maybe have never experienced the discipline of the Lord. Maybe you have never experienced this discipline, and that's because you are not a son, you're not a child of God yet. The only thing that awaits you is a certain terrifying judgment that is to come. Unless you repent and you run to Christ, you do what our text said last week, consider Him, consider Jesus in all of His glory. See Him as a Savior and repent of your sins and He will save you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it does not return void. Thank You for Your loving discipline in our lives. Help us to see it, to recognize it, to embrace it, to praise You for it. Help us to be shaped into the very image of Your Son, being conformed into the image of Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.